looking today at Judges chapter 16. This is a very well-known story in the Bible. The story of Samson and Delilah. It has been a little while since we've looked at it. We're going to take a look at it here today. There is much to learn about relationships. There's much to learn about developing people to help you, to support you. And uh, here in Judges 6.16, we're going to take a look at that. And though as much as Delilah is known, how many do not know Delilah? How many do not know that name? Yeah, we all pretty much know that name, don't we? There is also another lady in this in this chapter. She sometimes gets overlooked, but there's things to learn from that one as well. We can learn from bad relationships. What we are to learn from the bad relationships that we see in the Bible is what not to do, but it also emphasizes for us what we should do. Last week we were looking at seven laws. Well, we ended anyway with seven laws in building a support team. I'm just going to remind you of those. First off, don't demand perfection. Understand the people that God puts in your life are not going to be perfect. They're going to have some flaws. Allow them to have their flaws the same way that you have your flaws. Don't expect each one to be everything. The people that are put, that God puts in your life, they're not to be everything for you. They're to be something, but not everything. Don't demand everything from them or you drive them away. Think and speak positively about them always. Sometimes we can get dragged into negative speak, not speaking edifyingly about them. First off, because we see some flaws or we see some things that they're not doing for us that we prefer that they would do. But don't don't get pulled into that. God's not leading into it. Sow into them before you harvest from them. You always have to sow before you reap. Don't look to harvest first. Look to sow. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. I have to learn how to enjoy the fellowship of other people. It doesn't always come naturally to everybody. Some people, there's some personality types it comes very easy to to enjoy the fellowship of other people. It does not always come easily to all. Some people have to learn it. But if you learn to enjoy their fellowship, you will seek it out more. You'll seek it out for the good things. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. Don't get into isolation. You can be a loner type. I've shared the stories with you. When I was growing up, I was a loner type. You put me in a room by myself, I am a happy guy. And my mom's not in the back there because she knows she, she was there. <laughs> She'd often say that to me. You put you in a room by yourself, you'd be happy. Yes, I would. It's when other people came around and messed it all up. But I had to learn how to enjoy the fellowship of others. Now I love the fellowship of others. Now I can be by myself and be happy and I can be with other people and be happy. It don't matter what it is. If I'm by myself, I'm happy. If I'm with other people, I'm happy. I'm, I just learn whatever state I'm in to be happy. You might think that's in the Bible somewhere. Last, uh, be pleasant to be around. There's some things you can do to be unpleasant. We gave you the example, remember, that you, you all have some numbers in your phone that are only there so that you know if they call you. They are not there so you can call them. They are there so if they do call you, you know it's them and you don't answer it. Oh, it's you. I'm not answering that one. That's the only reason they're in your phone. Because they have done some things to make your time with them unpleasant. 
And so you have just decided, I am not going to have that, that time anymore. <laughs> I don't know what that is either. But we are getting some, some noise out of there. Be pleasant to be around. Last one was learn to put others first. That's a biblical principle. We need to learn how to put other people first. Our flesh nature wants to put ourselves first. But let's take a look at those principles as we continue here in Judges 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying in the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, the Bible doesn't elaborate too much into the details of the story, but you get the idea of verse 1. Saw a harlot, went into her. Obviously, it, uh, she was a person, there was, there was money involved. This is her her way of life, and uh, Samson decided to to do that. Now, the reason he's probably out here in Gaza is there may not be too many ladies like that over in Judah, and maybe that's why he's here. But anyway, whatever the reason was, he decides to go into the enemy's camp, into the enemy territory, and to go ahead and do this sort of thing. Now, in chapter. 14 and 15, we looked at last time, we saw that Samson made himself known. He'd been, he had the anointing of God on him for strength for some time. But apparently he hadn't used it against the Philistines. He had used it and that strength had come upon him because he's well known and when he comes into the Philistine cities, he's kind of a celebrity. They know about him. But he hadn't used that against them. So they weren't mad at him, they just knew about him. But now all of a sudden he got mad at them and decided to go out and kill 30 of them. And then he got mad again and he went out and killed about a thousand or so. And so now he's on their radar and they want to get him. But what we have here is that he walks into the city of Gaza. The city of Gaza is one of five Philistines' main cities. This is kind of the five capital buildings, five areas where they operate out of, where five lords are. And this one is Gaza. He walks right into the city. Which tells us he's not afraid of them. They're after him. But he's not afraid of them. It would seem that between the time of chapter 15 and chapter 16 that they had done some things to take his life. And failed. And so he's feeling pretty confident and pretty good because the anointing is on him has helped him to overcome whatever they have done in trying to lay a trap, in trying to get him. Nothing has worked. And the Philistines are getting a little bit frustrated too. So they saw, well, he's in over here with the harlot. And so while he's in there, we're going to lay a trap for him out here. But we'll wait for him for the daylight because uh, apparently they didn't like their odds at night. So they thought, we'll wait until daylight instead of rushing the place. We'll wait until he comes out and we'll get him by surprise. And Samson doesn't even care that they're laying in wait and setting up a trap. Doesn't even think to check to see if they are. He just comes on out and he sees the gates are locked up 
That's no big deal. He goes over and he takes the gate. Takes them off the hinges. And then just to show off a little, carries them way far away. We have a map later on. We're going to show you how far away he carried them. The guy is showing off. There is absolutely no reason to carry those gates the way he carries them and as far as he carries them. But he does it just to say, don't try this again. Now your city has no gates and they're nowhere near you. You're going to get, get a whole mess of men to get over there and get those gates back and get them back on the, on the city. So now the city is unprotected. But they may be unprotected, but Samson has done nothing to deliver the Israelites. All he's done is what Samson wants to do. Still very selfish. So, so many people in their Christian life pursue relationships and companions like Samson does. They pursue companions and they pursue relationships that have a negative impact. And the reason I say that is this. Samson keeps getting people in his life that drive other people away. Now think of it this way. If you were a good Jewish boy, if you were good Jewish parents, and Samson was in your area, and he's always out there hanging out with the prostitutes, and doing things that he shouldn't be doing, would you want your son or your daughter hanging out with him? Mm-mm. So if the son comes home one day and they say, Mom, I met a really neat guy today. Oh yeah, what's his name? Samson. Wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Ah, no, 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 no. You are not being friends with Samson. And they, they cut it off right there. You're not gonna have that. People, sometimes what we do is we bring negative people into our life that drive away the good people. But, we get sold on, well, I, I need to minister to them. I'm sure no one here has ever thought that. But do you know other Christians who have said they have negative people in their life? Well, I just need to minister to I'm there. I'm probably the only person in their life. And they're dragging them down. They are dragging them down. They don't see that they're dragging them down. They see that they're trying to help them and bring them up. They're dragging them down. Other people don't want to be near them because they're getting involved in the things this person's going to. This is Samson. Samson's hanging out with the harlots. If you were a nice Jewish girl, would you want to go on a date with Samson when he's out there hanging out with the harlots? No. Samson, I don't want anything to do with you. This may be one of the reasons why he's going over to the enemy's territory. Because none of the ladies want anything to do with him back over at home. Now, I wrote some things down and my, I had to take them out of yours. I had to take a whole lot of stuff out of your outline. If you have extra paper, that would be a good day to have some. If you don't, raise your hand. Ushers will help you. To, we'll, we'll hand you some. But here's some things you can write down about this. This is about negative people. People that have a negative impact on your life. They can cause you harm directly. Some of these negative people will cause you harm directly. Some of these negative people will just get you mindful of wrong things. 
Maybe you, you know with some of your kids were growing up or maybe when you were growing up as a kid. Every time you get together with so-and-so, you get yourself in trouble. You're not mindful of those things until you get around so-and-so. Anybody ever have a so-and-so in their life? You get out there and you start doing some stuff? <clears throat> you didn't even think of doing it before. But then you get around so-and-so and then you, you, you get off there and you, and, you, and you do some of those things. And... Um, that's they're gonna they're gonna hinder you. They're gonna hold you back. They get you mindful of wrong things. Another is they encourage wrong thoughts. They get you thinking wrong things. They get you mindful, I want to take this thing on over here, or I'm just beginning to, to ponder wrong thoughts. They're just getting you to think on evil things. Un unwholesome things. You just have conversations that uh, that are not not beneficial for you. Yeah, I have no idea where my where our noise is coming from because there doesn't seem to be anything over here. Here's a fourth one I put on here. They inspire corrupt imaginations. God wants you to be thinking about things in the future that you can go to, that you can become. And these folks are, are having you go in a, in a completely wrong direction. Why don't you give me the handheld notes over there? Let's see how. And it's, uh, I think it's still doing it. So maybe it's another source. What's that? Grab this guy. All right. If that doesn't, uh, if that doesn't take our, our problem away, then it might be something else up here on the stage that's doing all that. Don't need irritating noises. Now again, another thing that these folks will do that is harmful, they'll drive away people that would counteract all those things we just said. You could have people in your life that would have you think of good things. Have you think of helpful things? Help you plan out, imagine good things, directions that God wants you to go. And these wrong people will drive those people away from your life. We're going to give you three reasons today here why people don't have support folks in their life. Our first reason, people don't have support people when they need it. Is destructive companions. You have destructive companions. You have some people in your life that you have brought in too close that encourage you to talk poorly, think poorly, act poorly. You don't need them in your life. You need to, you may have a, need a, you may have a spot where they, you can help them, but we don't need to have it to where they're driving away the wrong things. This is what Samson does though. Samson brings these people around. So the folks that would have been friends, people that would have been helpful to him in his life, are driven away. And they're not there in his life. We saw in the last chapter, he's going to a wedding and no one comes with him. He's assigned people as a best man and as wedding companions because he couldn't bring his own. 
That's a that's a tough life. Verse four. And afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower overpower him that we may bind him to affect him, to afflict him, I'm sorry, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So she's getting paid by all of them. She's not getting paid 1,100 pieces of silver. She's getting paid 1,100 pieces of silver by each one. But it says that after he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, the word Sorek, the root for that, is red grapes. This is the valley on the border of Philistia and the territory of the tribe of Dan. Now, if you weren't here last week, the reason people are snickering is because grapes, as a Nazarite vow, you are to stay away from anything that is made from the vine. Anything that is made from grapes, whether it be grape juice, whether it be raisins, whether it be a salad with grapes in it, would it be something from the grape skin, something from the grape seed? If it grow in the vine, you are not to dine. That is how it's supposed to be. Stay away from it. I didn't have that written down. <laughs> but if you call up on our, on our map here, I got a couple of maps just to help you out. Here's the first one. This is Dan. This is where he comes from. He, he comes from this area over here. Philistia is down over in this area. Right now, this map shows Judah is over here. They had kicked them out. But Ashdod is over here. Gath is over here. Ekron is over here. These are all Philistine cities. So Dan is kind of on the border of that. So when he comes over to the Philistine territory, he's just coming right over the, the border, coming in. Apparently, they didn't have a whole lot of border guards. This part right here is the Sorek Valley. It's right between Dan and Judah. Go on to our next one. These all show the different things that he had had been done to, uh, with him. The wedding that he went to, he went down over here, and this yellow line over here shows you where he went to Ashkelon. This is where he goes down to Gaza. This is where Gaza is. This is where he's coming from. This is his home area. He's coming down here to Gaza. And when he picks those gates up, he takes them over here to Hebron. All the way over there. Carrying gates. And then drops them off over here. Near the city of Judah. They have to come over into the Judah territory to come and get it. This is where he is taken prisoner. We saw, we, we saw that part. And this is the, he, he's taken from the valley of Sorek and they take him all the way back over down here to Gaza. And then we have the, uh, the final victory that he's going to have over there in Lahai. Now, it's not stated in the story, but it seems that first off, the Philistines fear Samson. They fear him. Otherwise, they would just, he comes in, they just jump him. But they fear him. Enough has gone on that they fear the man. His presence makes them nervous, but they feel powerless to change it. They're, they can come against the entire nation of Judah and, and Israel, 
come against the entire nation without fear. But Samson, they're afraid to take him on. Does that seem odd? That's some of the anointing that is on him. His presence makes them nervous, but they feel powerless to change it. They follow and watch him closely. Wherever he comes, once he walks into their city, once he walks into their territory, they're following him. They have people that just follow him. Let us know where he goes. He went on over here to the harlot's house. All right, we'll wait outside. They know women are a weakness to Samson and they continually try and use women against him. That was his kryptonite, so to speak. Now this woman, it says that he loved her and were given her name, Delilah. It seems like any time that someone wants to set up anything illicit, any kind of store with illicit material, any kind of place what is one of the most common names that they use? Delilah. Yeah. There was a place down, I used to drive around in Jersey. They had a, a place that was called Delilah's Den. I had to drive by and see the signs to it. Once in a while I had to drive by the actual place just going to deliver. Oh, I used to, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Right on a road called Delilah Road. So I wasn't sure that they name it after the road or that they name it after, after her. But I, I know she's got such a reputation, Delilah. If you were, had the opportunity to buy a house on Delilah Road, how many people would pass up in that place? I'm just gonna leave this one. There are not people that go around naming their kids Delilah much anymore unless they're completely unscriptural and totally ungodly and just, oh, I like the name. This name carries a lot of things with it. But this is the woman that he loved. And we're given her name. Now they offered her money. You're going to see something here, in not just in this story, but in all the places in Scripture. I'm going to kind of summarize it here for you. We've talked about enough stories, you'll see this. This pattern is still true today. I'm going to give you, if you want to write it down, you can. You don't have to. But there's a pattern a progression for evil coercion. This is the pattern. You go through Scripture, you're going to see this pattern coming out. This is what happens. First off, we will pay you. We will make you rich. We will give you lots of money. If that does not work, if just money coming in is not persuasion enough, not everybody's persuaded by money, I don't want to do this just because you're paying me money, Then we offer what money cannot buy. We offer power, prestige, position, fame. Whatever else, we'll offer something that money can't buy. And these things are presented and these things are are offered. If that does not work, all right, we tried to be nice. Now we're going to get mean. And from there they will progress on to threats and punishment, torture against you to try and get you to persuade, to try and get you to agree. No longer going to get all the nice things. Now you're just going to survive. But you got to do this thing that we said. Here's the fourth area. The fourth thing, I bet you all can guess this. 
The fourth thing, if threats against your person do not make you sway your mind, the next stage they go to, the people that are near you. They're going to make threats against your mom, against your dad, against your brothers and sisters, against your kids. Whoever it is that you have in your life that is near and dear to you, they will make threats against them. Remember in the story before, his wife, they said apparently she didn't uh, give in just because they were going to pay her. But then they said, if you don't do this, we're going to burn you and your household. We're going to kill you all. And so she finally came along with it. But apparently with Delilah, all they had to do was the first stage. They offered her money. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's okay with this. All right. I'll take the money. We don't need to, to go any further with this. We'll just take the money. That kind of tells you that she does not think all that much about Samson. Samson's in love with her, but she's not in love with him. She may not even like him. But she sees him as an opportunity to get rich, to get lots of money. So I will tolerate this guy so I can get paid. That's all she's doing. There's no other reason for her to hang out with Samson. She doesn't seem to have any affection for him. Verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to, to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dry, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, I made reference to it and I found it, but I didn't bring it over with me, so I'll have to hold this off. Remember I told you what happens with a woman in the fallen nature? And what happens with a man in the fallen nature? I, I, don't, I was looking for stuff and I found the notes on that. And I was going to bring it over for you, and I didn't bring it, so I'll bring it over for you next time. And I don't think this was taken from any other place than me just looking at people in the Bible who had a fallen nature. What did the women do? What did the men do? So I'll bring that into you next time. But this woman, Delilah, is definitely in a fallen nature. Fallen nature. She is operating from the fallen nature. And she comes, you know, and bats her eyes, and, you know, tries to act real nice and sweet. And, you know, see, guys can't do that. It's just, it's not in us. You know, if, if we tried it, you all would laugh at us. What are you trying to do? But, you know, when a woman tries, and, and she does this, she puts all the, the sweet stuff on and be, be real nice, and that, that, that's not always for um, nefarious uh, ideas. I mean, sometimes you just want to, uh, well, I want to get my, my husband to take me somewhere, so he's coming on, I'm just going to be real, real nice, and... And, you know, real sweet. You know, if the husband tried it on you, you say, what do you want? What did you do? Right? Isn't that what you do? What did you want or what did you do? It's just, it's just off the table. But the guy, he may be thinking, no, she wants something. But it's okay. You know, it's, a, it's all right because, you know, you're so sweet. <laughs> Guys can't get away with that. But the women can. And so she's, she's pulling all the stops out, you know. She's probably dressed in a provocative way and acts in a provocative way and 
And then Samson, I, I just want to get to know you better. And you know, I just, uh, what is the secret to your strength? How is it that somebody could actually bind you? And he entertains it. Now the, the best thing to do is just shut it down. We are not talking about this. And just, just be over. Just be, be done. It's just kind of like you have watched the movie. I'm sure whether it's a Hallmark movie or one of those other ones that's out there. And you've watched the movie and you have seen the girl come into the scene and try and pull something out of the guy. Flatter him, do something. And what do you say? Don't fall for it! She's evil! I'll tell you what, when women go bad, they can be scary. For me, the most evil, the, the, the villain I can't stand. I have to leave the room. Crovella DeVille. I have to leave the room. I cannot watch that. She is too evil for me. There's so much evil in that woman, I just have to leave. Can't stand it. My granddaughter said, can we watch 101 Dalmatians? You can watch it. I'm leaving. I don't care if it's live. I don't care if it's cartoon. And then they were talking about some new thing they did with her. Yeah, I'm not watching it. That woman is evil. I do not need to see that. <laughs> you can give me the scariest uh, of the guys. It don't matter to me. But, boy, I tell you what, some of them women are just... Yeah. Mm. They are, they are something. Don't tell me they're just the weaker sex though. Mm -mm -mm. So he tells her something. Just to kind of, you know, throw it out there and let's just see where this goes. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. She bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches a fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Now we all know what happens in the end, and she puts him to sleep, and she you know, shaves his head and all that. There's no mention that he's asleep. She may just say, Oh, I got, I got this stuff. Can I see if this would really do it for you? If this would really... All right, yeah, he puts his hand out there, and she wraps him on up. And then, no doors open. The men are in the room, in hiding, and they jump out. Oh, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Oh, wherever did they come from? Oh, no. Oh, Samson, I hope that you, I hope that you'll be okay. And Samson sees the Philistines coming and he breaks those things and he takes care of them and they go running out of the house. Now, how many of you would think Samson's going to figure this out. I mean, he's going to figure out that she's just out to undermine him. And surely he won't let this go any further. It's even worse than that. Verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. All right, now you better, you be careful about this, ladies. I'm sure no woman in here has ever been guilty of this, but there's women out there who, who are, and don't let them influence you. They try something deceitful, 
get caught and instead of just humbly, uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking doing that. Uh Uh-uh, they get mad at you. They get mad at you. What'd she say? Look at, look at her words. Look, you have mocked me. Really? What were you doing to me? Delilah, what were you doing to me? If you're saying that I mocked you, what were you doing to me? But we don't want it to get there. No, if I get real angry, maybe he'll think I'm going to leave and he doesn't want me to go anywhere because he's in love with me. Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Hmm. It's all about her, huh? All about her. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. Oh, yeah, I'm jumping on this one. Yeah, I, I can't wait to tell you. <laughs> and so, he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. So they're not coming into the room. They're there, hiding out. She's hidden them. And hollers out, maybe they're not even, maybe this is the key, the, the, uh, the cue for them to come out. Oh, Samson's the Philistines are upon you. And then they come out. I don't know. But they were lying and waiting in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Now, I want you to get this, this part here. He does not do that by the strength of himself. He does that by the strength of what? The anointing. This man is with a Philistine woman who serves foreign gods, does not serve Jehovah, is not helping him in this, of, of his walk with God. They're in an illicit relationship. I put it this way, they're playing house. Just like Jesus uh, with the woman at the well. You answered right. The person you're living with now is not your husband. Just because two people live together does not make them have husband and wife. They're playing house. And yet the anointing still comes on him. If you were God, would you let that anointing come on him? How many of you would pull that anointing back? Yeah, we all would, wouldn't we? But God didn't. Now think of Samson. He has a Nazarite vow. I'm not supposed to take anything from the vine. Last week he was in the vineyards. This week he's in the Valley of the Grapes. We've thrown that that part out. I don't know if he's drinking wine or not. I don't know if he's getting drunk or anything like that, but he's certainly flirting with all this stuff. He's not supposed to touch anything dead. We saw that that went out the window. He's touching dead stuff all over the place. That's out the window. He's 
basically living with this woman in an illicit relationship and still the anointing comes on them. Most of us would have pulled it off. So she comes back in 13. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Yeah, what are you doing? Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into a web of the loom, so she wove it tightly with a batten of the loom, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep. See, this time he was sleeping when she did it. The other two times we don't know that he was sleeping. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. He took care of them boys. That's not gonna, that's not gonna weaken them. Now this one doesn't say that there's, that there's anyone in the room there with him. Might have been. Maybe she just kinda threw it out there. Just to see if he would be strong. Maybe the Philistines are saying, we're not coming anymore. We put men in the room and he's beating them up. No one else wants to go in. He's lying to you. We're not going to pay you any money. Oh, but I really want the money. Really want the money. I will find a way to get this done. So we learn of three specific falsehoods Samson tells her. And there is an interesting progression. In verses 7 and verse 11, it's Samson says, if they bind me, if they do this. We come here to verse 13. If you weave the seven locks. Did you see that change? He says the first two times, if they, the Philistines, bind me in this, but she's the one who did it. Now he comes back on this one. He knows she's going to do it. If you do this. Hmm. He's, he knows what's coming. Whatever I say, she is going to do it to me. Now that tells me a few things about this. This relationship between Samson and Delilah is completely selfish on both ends. Each one is in the relationship for what they can get. Delilah is in it because she wants some money. And everything that she does is just so she can get paid. Samson is in love with her. He thinks, I can change her. I can get her to love me. I know she doesn't love me right now, but I know I can get her to love me. If I just tell her some secret things, some, some inner things, if I just reveal myself to her, I know she'll fall in love with me. I I just need her to love me. And he thinks he can get to a place where that will happen. Many years ago, I told you a story. It's kind of a fun story. There was a story of a of a woman. She was getting married. Nervous as anything. Any any bride can remember when they were getting married how nervous you might have been. Nervous as anything. And she just didn't even think that she could stand long enough to get on down the aisle. And so the father of the bride, he pulls her aside and he looks. He said, I want you to look, I want you to do this. I want you to just think of three things. Three things. Just focus on three things and you'll get through this. First thing I want you to think about 
is the aisle. You have the aisle. You just have to focus on getting down the aisle. Just get, just focus on that. Get down the aisle. And then once you get down the altar, there's going to be an altar there. I want you to just focus on the altar. Just to stand there by the altar while this is, is going on. And the third thing I want you to focus on is your husband-to-be. I want you to focus on him. The love that you have for him. The future that you're going to have together. She said, I can do this. I can do it. And so... She starts that walk. You all know the walk that the bride does down the, down the, the aisle. And the people that were on the sides, you know, they're standing there look, looking at her and the cameras on her and all that sort of, and they, they, they would hear her. They heard her as she was mumbling. She was mumbling something coming on up the, up the, the altar. She said, I'll alter him. I'll Alter him. You get into a relationship where your your goal is to alter the other person. That relationship is doomed. Because what you did, what you what happened was you got sold a bill of goods that said this isn't quite what you want yet, but you can make it into it. And the devil gets us to focus on something different than what we have. What we have is not satisfactory. And Samson says, I can change her. I know I can get some time. I can get her to love me. If they, if they, and if you. See, her selfish affection for him, it's in the light now. But he doesn't care because he thinks he can change it. You have mocked me. People often only see things from their own perspective. If you only see things from your own perspective, this will distance you from others. Not just your spouse, not just your children. It will distance you from other people. You have got to get the ability to get out of yourself and look at something through someone else's eyes. If all you do is look at it the way you've always looked at it, you can't change it. Many times when you have a puzzle, how many have ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? I think we all have, right? Yeah, I've got those jigsaw puzzles. And you're working on an area of the jigsaw puzzle and you, you, you hit a, a stone wall. You can't get the next piece in that. So what do you do? Well, I'm going to go over to this part and I'm going to work on this side of the jigsaw puzzle. And then you work over to this corner you work on this corner of the jigsaw puzzle. And then maybe by doing that you can begin to develop some pieces and hit that area that's giving you trouble from another side. And then you can get that part done. But when we have our relationships we don't always do this. I keep trying to hit the same way that it has failed me before. We've got to learn to get outside of ourselves. Not just with your husbands, not just with your, your wives. You've got to get outside and, and look at it this way for your kids, for other people. If all you do is the way that you've looked at it, 
Because understand, you may look at a situation, you may have the idea, this is what's going on. But you're wrong. But I can't see it because every time I come here, I look at it this way. But it's wrong. And the more that I speak to the children in light of what I see, the more damage I cause. The more I speak to my spouse in light of what I see, the more damage I cause. The more I speak to my friends in light of what I see, the more damage I cause. You've got to get back and look at it from another direction. Look at it from another point of view. Try and see it from how they're seeing it. Oh, they see it like this. It never dawned on me. And see, now you can get a solution. But as long as you keep hammering home the same direction, you put distance between you and the person you have that relationship with. You've got to get outside of yourself. You've got to see it in another way. You have mocked me. She sees this from her perspective. She has no idea. She's not looking at this as what she's doing to Samson. Just what she's receiving. Basically, she's saying this. Give me what I want. I want this. Give it to me now. Then she said to him, verse 15, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Mm -mm -mm. Well, first off, lady, you don't love him. And now you're going to pick on his love? How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You're not doing what I want. Since you're not doing what I want, I'm going to throw anything out I want to get you to do it. And so she makes accusations of him. I'm sure he's thinking, girl, I could so call you on all this stuff right now. But he doesn't. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Now, this is just some of the ways that we're wired differently. Men and women are wired differently. Women in the fallen state can take hold of a thing like this and just, this is everything. Everything is about that. We've got to solve this thing. Men, we hit a a spot. Well, I could probably do without that. It's no big deal. I mean, sometimes women don't always understand it. I mean, sometimes you get your finger cut. Well, do I really need that finger? <laughs> right? I mean, I could, I could probably do without it. We're, we're, we're thinking this way. You know, I don't, I don't know how, but I don't use that one a whole lot. I got another one on the other side. <laughs> we kind of think about that sometimes. How many times, w- women, has your husband come in from outside and been, and been bleeding? And you'll see it. What'd you do? What do you mean what I do? <laughs> well, you're bleeding. I am? How'd you do that? I don't know. Didn't even know I was bleeding. <laughs> My wife will do that to me sometimes. She'll, she'll say, you know, I'm, I'm dripping blood on the floor. And I didn't even see it. <laughs> oh. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> and I just go on. <laughs> oh, I guess I ought to put something on. 
We're just wired differently. I was playing hockey one time. No, I was playing basketball. No, I was hockey. I, was, I played basketball first and I would play hockey. And, um, you know, two hours of, of uh, hockey wouldn't wear me out. So I would do two hours of basketball first and I'd play two hours of hockey. And so one time, um, somebody got their stick up and it hit me in the, uh, right below, right, right just above the eye. Just missed the eye socket. Hit me with the, um, I don't know if it was a stick or a ball. Pucker, whatever it was. Somehow it, it did that and it started bleeding. Oh, I'm not stopping. I'm still playing. I'm bleeding on the floor. And so, you know, the guys were saying, hey, Steve, you're bleeding. All right, I'll see if I got something I can. So I tried to wipe it off. And <laughs> I was going to keep on playing. Well, now, you know, you're bleeding all over. You, you, you need to get it fixed. All right. So I left the hockey rink, drove on down to the emergency room. And um, getting to the emergency room. And by the time I'm there, you know, you're driving, you don't get to take care of a whole lot. And so blood is just all down my face, neck, and on my shirt. It is just all over the place. And so I, I walk on in, and you walk into the ER, and when you walk into the ER, and you have blood all over your face, all over your neck, and all over your shirt, they do take note. <laughs> they didn't notice that I had a lot of blood on me. And so their eyes got big. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's not nearly as bad as, as it looks. <laughs> and so they got me on back there and, you know, they, 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 uh, stitched it on up, cleaned it all up and sent me on home. I get on home. My wife, you know what my wife said to me? Why didn't you call me? <laughs> it didn't dawn on me. I'm going over there, you know, just fix this thing up. It's no big deal. I drive home. It's probably home even earlier than I would have been after if I played hockey the whole time. But, you know, we're just wired differently that way. We just don't, we don't take notice of, of some of those things. And, and don't get mad at your husband when he doesn't notice some things that are going on in your life. We're not wired that way. We're not trying to be inconsiderate. We just don't see them. We just don't notice them. We can have things bleeding and we don't know it. We're not trying to be macho. We just don't know it. We don't even feel it a lot. I've had gashes on me. I don't feel it. Just going on. So I don't get mad at them because we, we just don't look at it that way. But then sometimes wives, women, we want the husbands to notice this in our life. How come you notice I was bleeding? How can you notice I was hurting here? Uh, sorry? <laughs> you, we're just wired differently. You gotta be careful. Don't get into relationship, husband, wives, kids, friends, whoever. If you want a support person in your life and you start making demands of them that they're not wired for, that they're not geared for, that they're not looking for, you'll drive them away. Well, I don't need this. I don't. I'll be here having a good time. Really? And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words. Now you, you ladies here, you can probably figure out some of the things that she was saying. This was going on for days. This is not a couple of hours. This is days. I don't know what happened with Samson. If I'm saying Samson, I'm saying, you know what? I don't have to make this trip. I can stay back over in the land of Dan. I don't have to come out here and hear this stuff. 
I don't know what kind of things he said to her. I don't know what kind of things she said to him. But she pestered him daily. Constantly. Every time she's him. Samson! Get over here! Samson, I'm mad with you! Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear that? Have somebody say to you, uh, I don't know, most of, most of the time, this is, this is the man-woman thing. I'm gonna say something, and, um, I, I'm, I'm sure, not too many pastors have ever talked about this. But I think about it just about every time I hear it, and I'll bet you that you do too, you just haven't vocalized it. My wife and I, we were watching one of the Christmas specials. And so we were um, checking out some of the things that were on there. And, you know, the girl and the guy, they had a different disagreements just on something. And you could probably figure it out. You know what the girl went up and told the guy? It very seldom, I'm not saying it never happens. It very seldom happens that the man says this to the woman. But the woman often says this to the man. Four words. We need to talk. Yeah. You know what happens to a man when you say that to him? Fear. We cringe. We look for a way out. Most of the time, and I'm not saying this all the time, I'm just saying that most of the times we hear that phrase, we need to talk. Another way of saying it is, I have stuff to say and you're going to sit and listen. Isn't that right? More than likely, what is being said is one-sided view of a two-sided situation. But someone has decided that my view is the most important. We need to talk. You are going to listen. This drives wedges between people. Doesn't have to be husband and wife. You can do it to your kids. You can do it to your friends. You can do it to anybody. You get into a situation, you demand, we are going to talk, and you are going to listen to everything I have to say. And you're going to respond as if what I'm saying is true. You will drive that person away from you. You will distance yourself from that person. You want to know how to shut down conversation? See what is shared in light of your disappointments. This is what we're going to see here in this part of the story coming up. I'm going to show you some things on how to shut down conversation. This is not always a man and a woman thing. Some men love conversation. Other men, uh-huh. And, and that's it. You know, it's, if it's, it's real funny. If you want to see uh, entertainment, I, I get entertained at this because I just laugh at it anymore. Go into a situation 
a moving situation where people are, I'm not talking about moving boxes, I'm talking about moving furniture, moving stuff out of the house into the moving van. How many people have ever participated in moving stuff out of the house into the moving van? If two women are on two sides of the thing being moved, there is much discussion. There is much discussion. We are talking about how we're going to do this, which way we're going to turn it, how high we're going to lift it, how heavy we think it is. How do we think it might fit through the door? How we think it might look in the place it's going? Where do we think? Should we put it on the left side? Should we put it on the right? I mean, we have lots of discussion on the way out there, right? You know what the guys do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I have moved furniture with guys, and we have gone the entire way out into the moving van, put the thing in there, and never said a word to each other. Sometimes I pull them aside and I say, you know, I love moving stuff with men because we don't need to talk. And men send, we send signals to each other. You know, if we're going to tilt the piece of furniture to the left, we send a signal. How many of you men know what I'm talking about? We send a signal. We know exactly what it is. I got the signal and I followed up with it and I turned. Now, funny, funny thing, funny story. If my wife and I move the piece of furniture, I send the signal. She don't hear it. She doesn't get it. She, what are you doing? Tell me you're going to move. You're going to turn. You're going to twist. I'm not used to that. I'm used to some of the other side. We, we, we send a signal. And they get it. And then we just do it. And then we, and then we go. And then we can get mad at each other because it didn't happen the way. You gotta understand that sometimes it's different. If you, as a woman, demand your husband, demand your friends to speak, to do, to react the way that you do, you will lose them. Husbands do the same thing. You can't imagine, you can't depend on them, ask them to do this, the same things that a guy will do. Don't do it. We're made to be different. We're made to complement. We are not made to be the same. Women don't make your men into women. Men don't make your your women into men. Don't need to do that. I don't want my wife to be to be masculine. I like her to be feminine. But when I go out and play hockey, I don't want any femininity on the court. I don't want it anywhere around. Uh, before I got there playing hockey, there used to be a girl who was who would show up and she would play. Fortunately, she was gone by the time I was there. I don't want a woman on the court because if they're out there on the hockey field, I will hit you. I will. Lamar was out there on the hockey field. We hit each other. We hit, we put each other into the wall. And then after the puck was out and went someplace else, we'd laugh about it. And that was fun. That was a good hit you did there. I like that. <laughs> we just have fun with each other. It was great, but in the corner, there's no fun. Uh-oh. We're beating up on each other. We're elbowing each other. We're trying to get that thing out. Once we finally do, oh, we're, we're best friends. Now, you do that with a woman, they may hang that over your head for a little while in the, in the game. Uh, we don't do that there. It's just, it's just, it's just different. But society now is trying to make men into women. No, let them be a man. He's a man. It's not made to be a woman. God didn't make them that way. But you can also have the male side go to the part of the flesh and become nasty. 
then I, I, I'll pull those things out and, and show you what it is. You don't want that to go on. Stay reborn. Men don't demand something out of your wife that she is not made by God to provide. Your wife is not everything you need. Wives, your husband is not everything you need. Don't make them to be that way. Got to understand, God made them to do a certain thing in your life. He's going to send other people to do those other things. Now, different men are different way. They're different personalities. Don't make your husband be a different personality than what you, the one you married. Guys, don't make your wife be somebody different than the one you married. You liked her because of the way she was. Samson's trying to change her to become something different. She's not trying to change him. She's just trying to use him. Because she doesn't love him. If she loved him, and she gave in to that nature, she'd probably try and change him. How do you respond when somebody that you're not married to tries to change you? Man or woman, it makes no difference. If you got somebody in your life and they're trying to change you, what do you do? <laughs> I don't need this. See you later. I'm out. Think about it this way. We all said we have people on our phones that we, their number is on our phone simply because I don't ever want to talk to them again. What did they do to get to that place in your life? Don't do the same things. It is amazing to me how many people who say they have no friends will do the exact same thing to the friends they have as the people they don't want anything to do with anymore. Don't be doing that. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. Well, of course not. Every time I tell it to you, it's out. It's out in the street. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words, pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Somehow, he has gotten the idea that the only aspect of the Nazarite vow that is absolutely imperative is the shaving of the head. And he has hung onto this with everything in him. But he has now shared this with her. Many people have been speculating, why does he do this? Anybody ever wonder, why does Samson ever share this? Why does he do this? He knows what she's going to do. Doesn't he know what she's going to do? He knows what she's going to do. Why does he do this? I'm going to throw out something to you. We'll have to wait to get to heaven and find out. But I think when we get to heaven, you can you can ask around if Samson's there. If not, ask other people who knew him. I'll, I'll bet you'll find this out to be true. At this point, Samson has been alone. He has no friends. He has no one who would come to him for the wedding. He has no relationship with his parents. He has no prospect of any friends. And the one woman he fell in love with wants nothing to do with him. is just using him for money. I think at this point, he is despaired of all life. And he says, I would rather die than to keep going. 
And so he tells her. Not because he doesn't know what she's going to do. Not because he's going to be surprised. But because he's done. This is a what we see here with this, these two, this is an attitude that's in a lot of relationships. Sometimes one side is trying to change the other and eventually somewhere along the line that one side that's trying to be changed gives up. They just give up. They don't try anymore. And they're in the same position that Samson is. I don't see that there's any hope for me in life. I don't think things will ever change. How would we respond if God was this way with us? How would we respond if God kept hounding us to change? How would we respond if this is how God loved us? Sometimes we've got to take into consideration that the way I am loving my spouse, the way I'm loving my kids, the way I am loving the friends that are in my life, is it like God or is it like something else? Now, flesh stinks, but it stinks even more when it's passed off as some sweet-smelling aroma. People that are in the flesh sometimes try and pass off their flesh actions as something good. He finally tells her the only part of his vow that he has not violated. To him, it is everything. And probably why, when he violates this, the Lord departs from him. Verse 18, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. And she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Not even trying to cover it up. She tries to torment him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Many times people fall into a deception. They think, I can live a life with some sin in it because God has continued to work through me. And as long as He works through me, He's okay with the sin that I'm involved in. That is not the case. How many saw the Facebook post I put up yesterday? Anybody not see it? Probably most of you, huh? I put up a picture because I thought this there was no real good graphic picture for Judges 16, so I put this up there. Sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd go. It will keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Sin has a price but it doesn't seem to jump out at us right away. Samson thinks, I'll just go out just like I did before. He didn't know the Lord departed from him. 
How I respond. I think I put this in your outline. I think I left it in there. How I respond when people share their heart will determine how much support they will be to me. Samson shared his heart and she scoffed on it. He's got no support from her. He hasn't so far. When someone shares their heart with you, especially in a husband and wife relationship, if the husband shares his heart, the wife shares her heart, if your kids share their heart with you about a matter, if your friends share their heart with you about a matter, how you respond will determine how much support you will get from them. If you say a thing like after you hear the husband, after you hear the wife share their heart about a matter, after you hear the kids share their heart, if you say something like, well, that's stupid, that's not true, I never did that. If we say things like this, if we raise our voice, if we're yelling, if we get angry, it will shut down the person sharing. And though we desire that they share with us, we have effectively shut it down in their life. They will not share with us because we have responded in a certain way. Parents have done this with their kids and their kids have shut down from sharing with them. Spouses have done this with each other and the spouses shut down sharing their heart anymore. I don't need to share this with you. The, the, the thing that... The thing that we do, hope you're all okay with this. I know this is heavy stuff. This is stuff. I'm gonna, we're gonna get into something right here that when Christians have fallen into this, of all the things they have fallen into, this is the most difficult I've ever seen of them getting out. It is very tough. Good Christian people. If someone shares their heart with you and you divulge it to others, You will betray that trust. You will burn that bridge. And it is never godly. There is no beneficial purpose. And you will destroy your support before you ever need them. If someone shares something with you, you need to take that, hold it dear, and not divulge it to others. Your husband shares something with your wives. Don't be telling your your girlfriends about it. Husbands, if your wives tell you something, don't be telling the guys about it. That was something that was shared with you. If your friend shares something with you, don't be divulging it. Don't be telling it. Don't be, don't be saying that out, out loud. There should not be a need on the inside of you to have to tell anyone. If there is a need, it is a wrong need and it's based on a wrong place. God never needs to share what we tell Him with anyone. He doesn't need to do it. My granddaughter, one time she came up to me, she said, I have a secret, Papa. Can I tell it to you? I looked at her and said, what do you think? Yeah, I can. I see, if you, you get into a situation like that sometimes with kids, maybe they're going to share something with you that you don't that you can't keep secret. If that's the case, then you need to sit down and talk to them. Is this really helping you out by not telling people? And you bring them to a place where they tell the people that they need to tell. But don't betray trust. Don't do it. It's too costly. Now understand, God does not betray trust, which is why He is not behind what many Christians, quote-unquote, 
here in the Spirit. This is real hard for some Christians to understand. Many times Christians go off and they say, well, the Lord showed me this about so-and-so. Really? So you're telling me that God is gossiping now? Why is God sharing that with you when His purpose would be to change them? Is He going to have you change them? Is that godly? Is that biblical? We don't always think that through. No, what happens a lot of times with people, they say, well, God has shown me about this person. God has shown me this about you. No, what happened was, you can't tell the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. And the enemy can come along and whisper anything he wants to in your ear, pass it off as God, and you will respond like it is. And you will do some of the most flesh reactions because you think God whispered it to you. No, you were just that, that open to the things of the enemy. That you are actually being used by the enemy to destroy the very relationships you say are important. Don't do it. God does not gossip. He does not share with you what is going on in the life of someone else. God is a great confidant. I, I, we had a person who came to me one time years ago. They had a relationship with a person that they were dating. And they had a bad relationship between the person they were dating and their parents. And the parents kept getting things in the spirit about this person. And their reaction to it was to act hatefully to them, to act in a nasty way to them. And the Lord showed me, would I speak things to people here on earth that causes them to react fleshly? No. So if God's not doing it, who's doing it? So they are taking things from the enemy, passing it off as God and responding as such. I've told you, we talked to you this before. You may remember, blasphemy in the Holy Spirit is attributing to God what the devil has done. Or attributing to the devil what God has done. That's blasphemy of the Spirit. It's not saying a few words that sound like taking the Lord's name in vain. Here's our second reason people don't have support people when they need it. They are selfish in their relationships. You'd be surprised at how much selfishness has worked its way into your relationships. You need to get rid of it. Don't call it Christian. It stinks. It's flesh. Get the selfishness out. Third reason people don't have supporting people when they need it. They are trying to change others instead of enjoying who they are. I learned a long time ago, quit trying to change people and just enjoy who they are. I learned how to enjoy who they were. Oh my, my life got so much better. I'm not trying to change anyone. I'm just, this is who they are. Glory to God, I'm just going to enjoy who they are. I'm going to enjoy what they have. I'm not going to try and change them. I want to enjoy what they have. If I'm always trying to change somebody, I cannot enjoy who they are. If I can't enjoy who they are, I can't receive from that relationship. If I don't receive from that relationship, that relationship will be built up. It will be torn down. And I will not receive the support that I need. If you give in to this mentality, no change will be enough or satisfying. If you give in to the mentality of changing others, 
No change will ever be enough. As soon as they make that change, you're looking at something else. This needs to change. This needs to change. This needs to change. And then, any means necessary is justified. We don't care. I just need to get this done. I need to get this person changed for God. And you will use any means necessary. We can think we're doing God's work, but truly, it is our own. I am trying to do my own work in my friends, in my kids, in my husband, in my wife. Flesh-controlled people can pass as spiritual people to some, but not to the spiritually mature. And so what happens is these flesh-controlled Christians, as the Bible calls them, carnal Christians, these carnal Christians avoid spiritually mature people because spiritually mature people will call them. So now they cut off spiritually mature people from their life. All they have is flesh Christians and immature Christians. How are they going to grow? Can you see the cycle the devil gets gets us in? He will get you to voluntarily push away all the spiritual mature people out of your life because they can see through you. Because they can see that what you're doing is not right. So carnal people avoid spiritually mature people. They reject their counsel and they put them down to others so that they don't receive their insights or expose their flesh. I don't want you to receive the insights that this mature person has over here, so I'm going to come over here and tell them this person's no good. This person's of, of the devil. This person is not. So that this way they don't receive anything that they say. And I'm protected. They are very difficult to win back. Once a person goes in this direction, they are very difficult to win back when what is flesh is accepted as spiritual. But understand this. God does not share gossip. You can write any of these things down you want to or ask me later on. I'll give them to you. He does not share gossip. He does not give you things in your spirit that ignite your flesh responses. He doesn't tell you the faults of others. He doesn't tell you to change them. God does tell you how to see the best in others. He does tell you how to cover their weaknesses. Love covers an abundance of sins, weaknesses. God does tell you how to endure the weaknesses of others. God does tell you when and how to speak correction. God does tell you how to walk in love, not bitterness, as bitterness is never God's way. And God does tell you how to receive from others as they are. Isn't it amazing that Jesus could pull people that were imperfect and receive from them? He could receive from Peter. He could receive from John. He could receive from James. He could receive from all those disciples. He could receive from them. He could receive from them. And you can't receive to the people in your life? Who does that speak about? The people in your life or you? If God can receive our gifts, praise, prayers, works, etc., in our imperfect state, what does this say about me if I can't? If I can't receive it from others. Other people are going to bring their gifts, they're going to bring their praise, they're going to bring their prayers, they're going to bring their works. And if all I'm doing is looking at that and picking it apart and finding things that are wrong with it, I can't receive that because this person's not going in this way. What am I, what's it saying about me? But you see, God looks at us and even though we worship Him imperfectly, even though we have brought Him gifts that are imperfect, even though I have given Him works that are imperfect, God still takes them and loves them. 
When our kids were little and they painted imperfect pictures, what did we think of them? We didn't criticize them, did we? They were precious to us. I still have them. They're great. Why do we not do the same thing for the people that are in our lives that God is bringing about to bring support when we need it? Help when we need it. Is it because I'm so spiritual or is it because I'm so carnal? The reason you don't receive from the people that are in your life is not because of your spirituality. It's because of your carnality. If I see what is carnal as spiritual, how can the Holy Spirit show me what to change? If He shows me something to change, won't I just reject it as being evil? Despite the difficulty and the time needed, Delilah Delilah never increased the price of her betrayal. Isn't that amazing? She never said, I need more money if I'm going to do this. I need something more. This is a lot harder than I thought. I put this in your outline, I believe. Carnal Christians cannot detect a change inwardly until it hits them in the face outwardly. Samson did not know inwardly that the Lord had departed him until it hit him in the face outwardly. When you get into the state like Samson and carnality has gotten hold of your life so much, God can leave something on the inside and you have no idea. You have no idea. I knew today was going to be a challenge to get through this all. We still have a a good bit to go. Instead of trying to rush through it, we can tie some of this into, into what we're getting into next week. Let me end end you with this. Are you trying to function in your gift based on the mercy of God or the anointing of God? Samson tried to function in his gift based on the based on the mercy of God. God wanted him to base to follow that gift based on the anointing of God. Many Christians are dependent on the mercy of God. I'm going to be involved in these sins. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to be attached to this thing over here. And the mercy of God is upon me and I still function in my anointing. But that anointing will be greatly restricted and you will not grow to the level that you need to grow. God wants you to function in your in your gift by the anointing of God, not the mercy of God. One more thing. Are you trying to build what is spiritual using what is carnal? Are you trying to build something spiritual in the lives of your friends, in the lives of the people that are around you? In your children? In your husband or wife? Are you trying to build something spiritual in them using what is carnal? They're not going to get there. And the devil has got you following after a path that will assure self-destruction. There's still more to learn from Samson. We just don't have the time to get into it here. But like I said, we'll try and tie this in next week so that you can you can see that as well. Would you all stand up with me? As we pray today, we had a couple of prayer requests I wanted to share here with you at the end. Uh, Candy said her neighbor's husband passed away Wednesday evening. He was only 38 years old. He had a heart attack and he has a little, little girl. They just, just started walking and the son, uh, was 12 years old. So pray for them. Her name is Cindy and we can, we can pray for them.
Also, the other neighbor has colon cancer, and they're giving her six weeks to live. So her husband needs prayer, but he is not a believer. Yeah, we got to take care of that situation there. And Sharon uh, said, uh, please, please continue to pray for my aunt's healing and for her to believe. We can pray for people to be sent along her path to minister healing to her because God will heal unsaved people. He did it all the time in the Bible. But he does it because they know that he did it. Well, Father, we thank you that you can help us build the support team that we need. Very often we have done things that have destroyed the people in our lives that would support us. We've destroyed those relationships. We've destroyed the trust. And all the while, Satan and his kingdom have sold us on a bill of goods that we're doing your work. We're speaking your words when all we're doing is uttering his inspiration. Help us to pinpoint this in our life and to make that turn to get out of the carnal Christian and get into the spiritual one. To stop trying to hear a God who gossips and to hear a God who builds up and edifies. We want to speak words from our mouth that build relationships, that encourage people. So when the time comes and we need support in our life, they're there for us. I pray for each person here, for each relationship that they have, whether it be a spouse and they're doing self-destructive things, son or a daughter, and self-destructive tendencies have worked into that relationship. Friends, neighbors, other relatives, I pray that you help them to see the self-destructive things that they're doing. And to leave the pattern of trying to change others. And look at how they can just enjoy who they are and change themselves. That is the way that you would have us to go. And Father, we pray for these people. For the neighbor whose husband passed away. That you administer your joy. That you administer your insight into what's going on there. Bring them on the path they need to be. And the other one who needs healing, they need to learn to depend on you. I thank you that you will send people on their path to help with that. And for Sharon's aunt, that you would send people that she would hear from about healing, about the God who loves her. I thank you for it. And help us as we go to bring healing in our relationships and not the destruction that the devil has inspired us to do. I thank you. Because you will change these things around. Sansom despaired. Thought there's no hope. My life is never going to get any better. And he gave up. Some people here are ready to give up. Something's missing in their life. They know it. They feel like they can't ever bring it back in. But they can. Just as David was off on his own with no one around, you showed him how to bring, build a support team. Before long, he had 200, 400, 600 men who were there supporting him. 
I thank you for those people that are out there we don't even know yet. Some of them we do. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, my wife wanted to let you know on November 21st she's going to have following the morning service. Oh, wow, we got that too. See that? I still forgot it. <laughs> I even had it in the bulletin. Thank you, sir. Following the morning service on the 21st, we're going to have a meeting of the outreach team and prayer team. If you uh, can write that down and keep that keep that going. I got kind of rushed there at the end, but the whole time I was doing this, putting this together, I saw looking at Jesus. What a selfless life he lived. What a way he, he lived and he gave his entire life for us. He didn't live his life for himself. He didn't live for his own pleasure. He didn't live for the things he wanted. He lived for us. We know that when he went to the cross, the great sacrifice that it was, but he did it because of his love for us. If my God could sacrifice his son, and that son could sacrifice his body, and his life and go through that pain for us how much can we go through for the people that are in our life how much can I still endure to help my husband or my wife become the person God wants them to be how much can I help my son or my daughter become the person they need to be What can I do to help the friends that are in my life become the people God wants them to be? Jumping ahead on this a little bit, but do you remember that Paul wrote in the epistle? He said, no one is like-minded speaking of himself except Timothy. Everyone seeks their own. He said of all the people he had on his team, of all the people he's run into in the churches, he said there's only one other person who is completely selfless in their attitude in life, like I am. And he said, that's Timothy. Think of the people that are in his life. Titus, Silas, Barnabas, Apollos, Think of these great men of God and yet each one of them had some selfishness in them. If great men of God like that had some selfishness in them, they still had to work out. Don't be afraid to say, I got some selfishness in me and I need to work it out. And start working it out. Jesus didn't have any selfishness in him. And he went to the cross not because of what had benefited him, because of what had benefited us. The night he was betrayed, he took the bread before supper and he said, this represents my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body was beaten, bruised, so that his body would bear our sickness and our pain. We don't have to bear it anymore. Let's eat together.
Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and said, This represents the blood of the new covenant. So often as you drink this, remember, there is nothing we add to the work of Jesus to be forgiven. His blood is all we need. His body is not part of the forgiveness. His blood is. His body is part of the healing. The blood is not part of the healing. The body is part of the healing. Two different parts. Two different aspects of salvation. When he says you're saved, you are healed and you are redeemed. Don't add to the blood. There's nothing else you need to do. Just receive what he did. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. It's a great work that Jesus did and we walk in the light of it. Help us in our relationships to be as selfless as Jesus was in his. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Have a great rest of your day. Share your joy that you have in your life with someone near you.